This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, it's still 2022, but it's about to be 2023. Yeah. To help people get ready for that, the analysts in Bloomberg Intelligence that you work with and lead have helped us come up with a list. What's going to be on this list? Well, this list is essentially called the Outlook. Um, outlooks are one of those required things that we have in BI. We have a lot of freedom, but a couple things we have to do, primers and an Outlook. Now, we're a little late. A lot of Outlooks come out in November, some even October. We put ours out in December. And we look, we look at the year that just happened, obviously, and then we sort of forecast forward what we think and just come up with an overall theme. Our overall theme this year was that the era of the ETF will be here for a while. And largely because of the flows, the volume, and the number of launches were just so high and extraordinary for the market being completely de- decimated. Both stocks and bonds had one of their worst years ever. You would think that would put a suppressive force on most of those things, but they almost reached records of everything again. So you have a crystal ball and you look into it and tell me that ETFs are going to keep getting bigger? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always had this phrase on the team that we've used. In fact, our 2021 outlook, I think, was bull markets are good for ETFs, but bear markets are even better. And we were right. This year showed exactly that. So, But I am actually stunned at how much they both the launches and the flows in particular, uh, almost six hundred billion dollars in flows. I would have guessed lower. I would have guessed more like three four hundred, and mutual funds almost a trillion in outflows. So, this shift to ETFs and passive has expedited in this kind of a uh, brutal environment. So, I don't know. I feel justified. I'm glad I devoted my career to this stuff because it's it's definitely growing. It's a, the vehicle of the 21st century. Horn. Okay. So, who's going to be joining us? And how are we going to structure this one? So we have the whole team here. I think this might be the first time everybody's here. We might have done this once before. So we've got Athanasio Serafagas and James Seyfert, who are both here in the studio with us, who are on regularly. We've got Henry Jim over in Europe and Rebecca Sin in Hong Kong. And uh, Henry leads up Europe. Rebecca leads up Asia. And so everybody's going to give their two cents from where they sit. This time on Trillions? The 2023 Outlook. Henry, Rebecca, Athanasios, James, welcome back to Trillions. Henry, first time, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? 
before we hear from everybody, Eric, you want to uh, tell us how great you are? <laughs> that wasn't how I asked you to set me up, but oh, okay, okay, fine. Listen, um, we've been right a lot. I, I got to be honest, like our calls have been pretty good. One thing about Outlooks that I find frustrating on the sell side is they t- tend to just repackage the past in with the future tense. And what happens is the future tends to change. So they're wrong a lot, honestly. We've made a lot of calls that were against the grain. And I just want to take a victory lap here. I'm sorry. Now, I will go over the ones we got wrong. We have a couple wrong too. But here's the ones we got right over the past two years. ARC would hang tough. Called it. Got it right. They've seen inflows this year. The SEC would approve a Bitcoin futures ETF and ProShares would be the first out with it. This was all James. He nailed it. We picked up a lot of crypto people because we were the most aggressive on that call. And it both turned out to be correct. We um, also said bear markets would expedite the ETF and passive move. Um, yours truly said an inverse Jim Cramer ETF would be filed, and it was. Um, we thought that mutual fund to ETF conversions would grow quickly, and they have. They're actually getting uh, Fidelity just jumped in. That's That call is not totally right yet, but it's in the right direction. Um, in when March 2020, when the bond sell-off and, the, and everything was like really going bad and bond ETFs showed like discounts and stuff. I said, listen, bond ETFs are going to double in assets over the next three years. And I said that right in the dark of the night before the Fed even came in. They're almost there. It's still, we got a year to go, but there are two thirds of that asset level. Bond ETFs crushed it this year in terms of flows. Um, big passive fund companies should democratize their voting. They should decentralize it. They did. Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab all announced plans. ESG would confuse people and then struggle to break 2 to 3% market share. I was probably the most aggressive and negative on this, but it, they are. I mean, they haven't seen any flows this year. Even BlackRock sold out the ESG fund, their own model. They'll exist. I just don't think they're going to grow beyond 2 3%. I guess that one's not quite done yet. And then <laughs> I said 2022 would be the last crypto Super Bowl. Now, I said it because I thought they might approve a spot ETF and that would pull people off the exchanges mm. and make them lower their fees for trading. Mm. I didn't say it because I thought there would be some big scandal with FTX, but I think that is going to be the last crypto suitable. So indirectly got that one. Some we got wrong. We oh, thought- no. oh, hold on. Let's just okay. Let's just take a moment. Okay. <laughs> and just as lo- as long savor. As, yeah, as long as, as you can savor that. But let's also, you know, let's hear about the ones that you, you missed. All right. Um Ethan and I in particular, we thought multi-factor ETFs would take over smart beta. That's when you put all the factors together. Uh, turns out people like their factors separately. <laughs> uh, but, you know, multi-factor is, they got a legit, like, niche, but they definitely didn't, they're not going to take over. Um, I think it's interesting in ETF land sometimes when they uh, when they merge, when they put too much together. Like, you want, the, I know, Joel, you've been asking about this everything ETF. I think sometimes that doesn't actually work. People actually like the pieces sometimes more than everything together. And that's, I think, the case here. We also thought that the JP Morgan and Goldman, like S&P 500 knockoff ETFs would get bigger and JP would pull out of SPY and IVV and put it in their own ETFs and they haven't. The S&P 500 brand name is more powerful than we thought. Um, And then fixed income smart beta. We thought this would be a much bigger deal by now. Uh, It's really still pretty small. I think it's 50, 60 billion. Equity smart bait is $1 trillion, so there's a whole disconnect there, and it just hasn't grown like we thought. James, did we miss anything? Yeah, there's one that I got to call myself out on. I thought we'd have an Ethereum futures ETF in 2022 based on the fact that we got Bitcoin futures and a few different things, but that has not happened. Um, so we got I got that one wrong, me personally. All right. Congratulations on being great. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> co- 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 <laughs> Listen. I, I'm sure you can do the same thing with Business Week articles. We do, actually. I know. Yeah. So l- yeah. this is my version of that. Yeah. Let me have it. Yeah. It's my our, life here, in man. You're ahead issue. You know, funny and enough. We, and we roll the dice on these takes sometimes. We put ourselves out on a limb. We don't We don't play it safe. We are In our year ahead issue, the thing that we got right was uh, the weak link in crypto was going to be the brokerages. And that's... It was a Broadway. We didn't say FTX specifically, but... Listen, let's pat each other on the back right now. Right, here you go. <laughs> All right. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Business Week, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Athanasios, let's talk about 2023. What's your number one? Uh, man, well, I'll start grim. Um, I think closures are going to pick up. We did the episode on the graveyard, I think, a couple on Halloween. Uh, there's two parts of the equation, obviously, launches and closures. I don't see launches slowing down. Uh, it was a, you know, despite the market being tough, launches still came in pretty strong this year. Yet last year, you had a lot of crazy stuff coming to the market. I actually think that other part of the equation is going to pick up. I think people threw a lot of product out. That's not going to, you know, you need a bull market. And I don't think we're going to have that next year or, you know, might be a tougher market. So I think we're going to see closures start to pick up and people will, or issuers will start to clean up their lineups. So do you think more, more closures than th- than this year? Uh, yeah, it'll. Be, I mean, this year was higher than last year. I think it'll be pretty high. Uh, I could probably on, see more closures. Let's, yeah, let's it's after it. Is this another call we have to pat yeah. ourselves on the back next yeah. year? Yeah. Uh, I think it could be a really rough year for closures. Okay. I guess we're starting off on a bad note. Henry, first time on Trillions. Wow us. Number one for 2023. <laughs> sure. Uh, I don't know if this will wow you, but uh, what's wowing me is um, active ETFs. I think uh, active ETFs are going to be uh, continue their rocket tra- trajectory in the U.S. and um, the Europe. in Europe we're uh, falling close behind. Two reasons. One, I think investors in the U.S. are starting to look beyond the, the structure and looking at the strategy itself. So they don't really care if it's active or indexed anymore. In Europe, I don't think we've actually finished the consolidating the ETF story. Um, so before you can talk about active ETFs, we have to get the ETF story down 
first. However, people are still gravitating towards active. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, semi-transparent or non-transparent active, just total flop. Another call we got right. I should have put that on the list. Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm annoying every listener right now. They're like, all right, dude. Is this the Pat on the Back show for <laughs> Eric Belcher? <laughs> did it change? Yeah. Uh, we'll have a roast next <laughs> yeah. time, okay? Uh, Give my, my other shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> but transparent active, doing great. Capital Group came in transparent. They got like five or six billion. Uh, Fidelity, like there's a lot of the transparent active is doing just fine. I mean, active is really, I think, carving out a nice niche. Right, Tom? Yeah, I think going back to your other, there's another pat on the back, but the Kathy Wood call, I think her being transparent and her having that success might even kill that narrative that you need to be non-transparent to succeed. Yeah, and so I think I think the non-transparent active is probably going to slowly live in a very, very small niche, if not just go away eventually, and transparency will, will be how they do active. I think what's what we're seeing, though, also with uh, the adoption of active is a lot of uh, intermediaries, not intermediaries, like uh, IRAs are coming in via white labels or trying to start up their own ETF shops and launching their active strategies because there's no more uh, stigma if there ever were on active ETFs. So they're just bringing out their 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 either their tried and proven strategies to the active space or the strategies that weren't working out that well, they're putting it into the uh, ETF wrapper to try them out. So we're going to see a, a big growth there. I do have one variation on this active call, which is I think that you're going to see um, big legacy companies like Franklin Templeton, Fidelity. I, at least this is what I would do. I would come out with my best ideas funds, uh, a concentrated portfolio of just 25 stocks like Kathy Wood style, but it's the best ideas of your whole brain trust. And make that a separate ETF and then just keep your mutual funds because they're good cash cows right now or convert them. But then I think that a concentrated active fund fits well on an otherwise boring beta core, a la Kathy Wood, and I think she showed that. So I think we might see legacy sort of archize itself a little and come out with these best idea funds. That's just my call, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how calls do from this guy. <laughs> I'm only like I'm only batting eight fifty, yeah, but yeah. we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> okay, James, twenty twenty three, what's your number one? Yeah, so I'm going to actually look a little bit beyond 2023 here, a tad. But so let me first start by saying when I talk about mutual funds and everything I'm about to say, I'm excluding money market funds. We don't really we don't consider them to be the, the same type of situation when you're looking at ETFs versus mutual funds. Um, but so the one that is 2023, we think that passive could pass active in assets for ETFs and mutual funds by the end of 2023. Right now, the trend is accelerated, as Eric mentioned earlier. It actually has slowed down in some areas of the market. So one of the reasons why passive tends to overtake or pass gain market share on active during bear markets is because active has historically been so much larger. So if you're at 10 trillion, you go down 10%, that's a lot more money that's going down if ETFs are half or less than half that size. So the bear market really hurts. You see outflows on top of that, and then ETFs really gain market share. But what's happened now on the equity side of things, there's passive equity assets are larger than active equity assets in the mutual fund and ETF space combined. So the exact opposite is happening. That said, we're still seeing enough growth in the ETF to overcome that that uh, that lead that Passive had. So Passive should be losing more money than Active in this bear market, but they're not because so much money is pouring out. So because of that, we think the trend is going to be, it could happen by December of 2023, that's next year. I think it's definitely going to happen by 2024. We would need a massive regime shift of the last 15 to 20 years for that not to be the case. What percent of the funds market is Passive when it comes to equity? Uh, it's so 
It's about 53%. Okay, what about fixed income? Fixed income, it's a, it's about thir- it's in the mid 30s. And what so what's total? Total, it's about 46, 47%. Gotcha. So that you're saying that's going to go to 51 or 50.1 at, at the end of next year. Theoretically, yep. by December 2023, I think it happened. Yep. It's going I would bet a lot of, like you would be you would I'd be very confident it's going to happen in 2024. Now, let's shift to mutual fund to ETF. That's a whole other like sort of war we're looking at. What is that? Per- what percentage of assets the ETFs have relative to mutual funds, and where do you see that going? Yeah, so again, X money markets because there are trillions of dollars in money markets, but we're at about 28, 29%. So if you take ETFs and mutual funds, ETFs make up about 28 to 29%. And based on the current trajectory and all the stuff we're talking about, ETFs democratizing, revolutionizing finance, people still pouring ETFs, I think it's going to happen by 2028. It could happen within five years. So that's a big jump to go from 28 to 50, but at the current rate of change, it's it's not that crazy to, to put out there. And I think most people listening might actually feel like, I can't believe ETFs only have 28% of the those assets. But the media uh, has really shifted to covering ETFs and mutual funds don't get much coverage. We're actually uh, hiring somebody to cover mutual funds because a lot of our clients actually want to read about there's still 20 trillion in them. And they've kind of been left behind by the media, but they still have a ton of money. And, uh, you know, it's slipping, but this is going to take a long time for this all to play out. But I, I agree with James, they will become the majority at some point. All right. Athanasios, you're number two for 2023. So my number two one is you know, beating the S&P is hard, right? It, over time, it's just really hard to beat the index. So if we looked at this year, actually a lot of ETFs did better than the S&P 500. And it's because it was a volatile market. And so I think next year, if we're going to be volatile again, I think it'll be a good opportunity for other ETFs to outperform. Now, I get it. Not every ETF is supposed to outperform the market. But I think when you have a market like we did this year, a lot of stuff like value, energy, active, smart beta, things like that tend to do well. So I'll probably be looking for a lot of the same stuff next year. So more opportunities, more trading, more ways to beat the market. So I think that's, you know, people don't realize not every ETF is just supposed to be like an active strategy or smart beta. A lot of people will trade throughout of them, right? So there's just as many energy ETFs as there are tech ETFs and energy was really great this year. So I think it'll give opportunity to a lot of things that were left for dead to to be able to outperform next year. So that's something I'd be looking at. A couple comments. This is very interesting to me. I think this also speaks to the fact that a lot of smart beta ETFs tend to be designed by people who overweight fundamentals and like stuff that you learned in your CFA class. That stuff matters now. They don't like actually design smart beta ETFs to go after non-profitable tech companies, which worked clearly for a while and left all these value funds, which use, you know, more classic fundamentals like price to earnings ratios and stuff. They now are kind of working. They're what they they were designed with a lot of evidence. And now they're it's working because the market is valuing these things that tend to always be valued uh, after the bull market comes down. Right. It's is a return a mean version kind of thing. Um, and then to your point of the stuff like if energy does well, you'll probably see a couple more energy ETFs launched. And so the, the product will start to go towards the things that are working, value, energy, materials. And then all, they're, they're where you're going to see some outperformance. Yeah, I agree. It's like a Spurs basketball, right? Like back to fundamentals. <laughs> I think that's going to work next year. Last year was all like alley-oops and like, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and we're going crazy. I think this year it's going to be just back to like most uh, boring basketball. Passing, yeah, just backdoor pass cuts. Yeah, yeah, you know, pick and rolls, like just basic, <laughs> like basic I, I like that metaphor. That, that works. Henry, let's hear what else you got for Europe. Uh, for Europe, my second call is actually uh, fixed income products. Um, this last month, for example, uh, had massive flows um, back into ETPs in general and half the flows were into fixed income. 
whereas they only uh, make up like 20% of total assets. So in terms of fixed income, my call for next year is going to be uh, fixing in products for uh, income generation and um, uh, for uh, uh, combating inflation. So that could be fixed for inflation, actually. It could be fixed income or it could be hard assets. So I keep an eye out also for um, for uh, like gold bullion and other uh, metals funds. Um, there's a lot of cryptocurrency ETPs here in Europe, and I think... Um, some investors saw it as a store of value. Uh, given the current situation, I think uh, we'll see some people um, flowing out of the cryptocurrency ETBs and back into uh, gold bullion or other metals. Inflation and income um, ETPs are my call for next year. Yeah, so I'm piggybacking on what Henry said here in the U.S., We've fixed active fixed income mutual funds have it's been a it's been a little blood bloodbath so far in 2022. They've seen hundreds of billions of dollars in outflows. I think we're at 400 billion right now. For half a trillion. Of, yeah, half a trillion. And Hold but, on, half a trillion is six times more than any other year of outflows. So it's the record six times over. Yeah. So fixed income has been active fixed income mutual funds specifically have been crushed. But ETFs, we've taken in a decent amount of money in fixed income despite this rising rate environment, despite the worst performance virtually ever for fixed income. And this ETFs are still taking in money. So that's that goes into the fact that I talked about equity wasn't gaining as much market share on the passive side of things. But on the fixed income side of things, it's really ramped up. Like we've seen a couple percentage points ramp up in the passive versus active side of things and on the ETF side of things because of this mass outflow from mutual funds and into ETFs at the same time. I think there's a demographic shift uh, as well here. A lot of fixed income mutual funds were bought by boomers when they were young and their 401ks are now 70, 80 years old. And if the Fed's aggressively hiking, I if I was a boomer at that age, I might not want to wait around. I might just take, I had a good run. It was a, like 30 year of lowering of rates. I mean, it was brilliant. Uh, I might just cash out. I also think that the ETFs are used more by institutions and allocators now to pinpoint what they want. Right now, uh, like Tom had a, a great note on the cash-like ETFs, which now yield 4%. So now you just buy one of these cash-like ETFs. You can buy it on any exchange. gives you 4% yield. You got some cash. You wait to deploy it to equities. So I think ETFs are used um, for their tool purposes, whereas the mutual funds were used a little more for like the whole enchilada. Yeah, we we, we, we we talked on the show about the single stock ETFs and that potential growth area, which hasn't really panned out. But one area that has panned out is the single bond ETFs, the one from FM Acceleration. They have hundreds of millions of dollars they just launched this year, and they're par- targeting specific on-the-run rolling of treasuries, which basically allows you if, you, if you watch Bloomberg TV or CNBC, they talk about specific points on the curve. These ETFs allow you to actually target those exact things that economists are talking about. And they're seeing significant uptick. People want to invest in these things, these on-the-run li- liquid treasuries. Yeah, and this brings up a point. People are like, oh my God, single stock ETF, single bond ETFs. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, But here's the thing that people always underestimate about ETFs is convenience. Consumers love convenience. Make it easy. They will come. People will buy that. It's a pain to go out and short Tesla. So there's an inverse Tesla. Just hit click. You go, you're on that. That trade is now on. Or it's a pain to go buy the treasury. Now you just buy this thing. It trades on an exchange like Microsoft. You now own this one bond. So I think... That is going to happen, the single stock, single bond, and even, you know, who knows, single commodity. We're going to see a move into this area. That said, with the single stock, I do think it's going to be more limited than people think. This whole spaghetti at the wall, nobody needs single stock Pfizer, like inverse Pfizer. It's probably going to have like six or seven stocks that people care about. Obviously, Tesla is the first example. 
could be meta if it starts to get volatile. There could be flavor of the month that comes in and out and they, they single stock it. Um, and then you're going to see a single stock where they're going to write call options on it, like Tesla covered call ETF. So I think securities like Tesla and ARK are going to have these ecosystems built around them where there's multiple ETFs that do trades around the stock. But then these out, outer layer stocks, I think, will die. Like, I don't think we need a GE 1.5 times. I mean, I think nobody's going to buy that. Thoughts? I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be concentrated in just a few names. I think the uh, the cover called uh, ETFs are a good example of these um, of income ETFs because people still want their exposure to the equities and also want a bit of income. I think you can also look at um, the um, defined outcome ETFs like innovator ETFs where they're talking to the same um, population which you addressed, um, uh, the boomers. They still want exposure to the overall equity markets, but they they're afraid of it collapsing, yeah, so they have right. a I'm cap, they have a buffer on the bottom line. Market, what they're giving up, though, is a bit on the upside, but they're okay because they've already uh, invested their money over their lifetime, so they have all these gains in it. They just don't want to lose anymore. Yeah. We don't see these sort of products in, in Europe, so that's why I'm still calling for fixed income products to grow in Europe as a proxy for, for income-generating ETFs like we have in the States. And a lot of what we just mentioned requires derivatives which is a lot of people think of it as a dirty word, but what we're finding, the ETF rule made it a little more liberal to use derivatives. And what, what we're finding is it, it's not being used to go crazy with leverage or anything, but it's used to sculpt outcomes. Derivatives can really fine tune the outcome of, of a strategy and they're being used brilliantly by many companies. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that where um, people will package up the derivatives plus some equities in a certain way to get you exactly what you want in an outcome. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rebecca, welcome back to Trillions. I know that China 
is on your mind. Tell us more. So the reason why China is on my mind is I expect China to rebound in 2023. To put it into perspective for everyone, China has been in lockdown for almost three years now, and so what this means is people have not been able to leave their house. If they got COVID, they would be sent to a mass quarantine center. So think of Squid Game, big concentration camp with people, and people have not been able to move freely between the cities. And so, at one point, all the cities were locked down, where people couldn't even leave their house for an extended period, and the government was sending food to all the homes. And so, all of a sudden, after three years of being locked down, people are now reopening and allowed to move again. So, this is going to be a huge impact on the economy as people begin to shop more, leave their house, they'll be traveling amongst the cities, and so this will have a huge impact on the economy. To put into perspective, China is the second largest. Assets under management for ETFs in Asia Pacific. They own roughly thirty percent of the market, and so as China reopens next year, we're going to see a huge impact not only on the economy but also on ETFs. And so tech outlook is looking positive. Alibaba, Tencent. You know, we expect the consumer sectors and consumer discretion to be one of the areas that are going to grow significantly. If there were a ticker that I wanted to watch, what's the one to watch? So tickers in China are random numbers that、oh. Eric always makes fun of.、Uh, you know, yeah, look, listen, I, I have to pounce on this. As you go from the U.S. to China, like across Europe, it goes from unbridled capitalism to pure communism. It goes from like dude and like hack and moo, right? And then in Europe, they're like there's a couple words, but a lot of times they look like license plates. It's like LG nine. And then you get to China, the ticker is like five one five three four. Then the next ticker is five one five four two. Did I catch a niner in there? Yeah, and it's like, oh my god! Like, how do you even know what's going on with the tickers there? It's I don't even know what's happening. I look at these tickers, and it's so confusing. It defeats the purpose of a ticker. Well, we we just had a new one launched here in Europe with ticker FUW fifty. So we're not that we're not too bad. But I guarantee you that was by accident. <laughs> See, that's a, like a license plate that went bad. <laughs> So in Hong Kong, you can make a charitable donation to the Hong Kong Exchange, and then you can select the random numbers. And so instead of having, you know, four, five, That's eight,、so、three, you, you can have. Yeah. Like I said, you can bribe the、so、government. Kong, I guess. The tickers. Yeah. So for instance, in Hong Kong, <laughs> a lucky number is eight. So if you want the number eight as part of your ticker, you can make a charitable donation of one million Hong Kong dollars, and you'll be able to select your tickers from a list. But so, for instance, for instance, in Asia, people don't like the number four, and so if your ticker has the number four in it, no one's going to buy it because it's unlucky. So you need to make sure you get the right numbers. So it's, it's communism versus、uh, feng shui. Okay, James, you got another one for us? Yeah.、Um, We did do just a, an entire episode on essentially this, but I'm going to talk about big spot Bitcoin ETF.、Um, Eric and I are on the record、uh, last year calling for likely Q3, Q4 of 2023 that we'd get a spot Bitcoin ETF.、Um, didn't happen. Well, no, no, coming this 2023.、Oh. So we 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 aren't wrong yet, but we could this could be on the things that we got wrong list. And my my call is that unless we get some sort of legislation from Congress, some, some giving the SEC more regulatory power, or the SEC just starts taking regulatory power that they might not have right now, we're not going to see a spot Bitcoin ETF. So the, last year, coming to my side, yeah, I think it's what this is. Well, what, it, there's a, there was a lot of talk in Congress. There was multiple bills for stable coins, for different ways to do regulate crypto, and we just 
everything has kind of the, it, the talking has kind of slowed. There were also a few different areas that honest actually FTX was doing some things that could have helped make more regulated spot markets. Um, so unless theoretically, if an exchange voluntarily comes under and registers as an exchange with the SEC, maybe then we could get one. But I think we're going to need an act of Congress literally um, before we get a spot Bitcoin ETF good, in 2023. Good luck, that. good luck with that. And now just to pivot to that, because uh, on uh, in our database, we consider cryptocurrency an alternative, even though you could argue it's too correlated for that. But anyway, it's an alternative. Alternatives in general, though, obviously had this big year last year. DBMF broke out. It was like sort of arc, not as big, but an indie star that broke out billion dollars. I know you have you're bullish on alts. I am, too. I don't know. They'll be like as big as I don't know. I, I'm bullish relative to their size now. They have five billion. I can easily see them getting 20, 30 billion. I don't know about 300 billion. Uh, what do you think? Let's talk about the alt side and why would that? Why do you think alts will, will grow? Yeah, so I'm I'm 100 with you. The problem with alts is like right now the market has already tanked a decent amount, right? So the the benefit of alts is you have a diversified portfolio. So if you were invested in them. And then the market went down. You had an alt that was actually uncorrelated to fixed income or equities, like as we talked about DBMF, which is now basically a billion-dollar fund because it did exactly that. Um, so these the alts are the, the whole point of them is to diversify your portfolio, maybe reduce volatility and give you similar returns or higher risk-adjusted performance, like a sharp ratio type type of situation. But for the most part, investors still aren't biting as much as like we expected. I feel like every year we're like, okay, this could be the year for alternatives, um, and it just hasn't been. Now, granted, it was a very good year last year for alternatives. Um, so hopefully, maybe advisors are taking more note. The other thing is the alternatives, they were often very highly priced and didn't actually do what they said they were going to do, where now we've seen some of these managed futures ETFs, some of these other alternative products that are actually doing what they said they're going to do, and they're not charging 100 basis points or whatever it may be. And even if they are charging that, some of them are doing what they said they're going to do, giving you good sharp sharp ratio performance. And you're getting more people from the actual hedge fund world coming in and doing their thing in the ETF wrapper, not an ETF company doing a half alt kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I still think that's going to be a tough story to sell. I mean, DBMF, they, they've um, they filed, um, or I think about to launch a, a mutual fund here based on the same strategy, here in Europe, sorry, based on the same strategy. But it's going to be a tough story. I mean, um, I remember when I was on the product side, um, to, you're, you're either selling um, um, a product in one or two senses to catch someone's attention, their imagination, versus having to spend you know a good 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, just from a uh, time resource perspective, as well as the uh, the, the salesperson's uh, time, it, it's, it's going to be a hard sell. That said, the 60 and the 40 went down this year. Everybody thought the 40 was supposed to offset the 60. The, if that continues, if the 60 and the 40 continue to be correlated, I think alt value goes up. Because then it's at least something that would offset the 60 and the 40. That, I think, is why I would slightly disagree with what you're saying. But that said, I still all this will be very small relative to big beta. And in, in our cat, in the way we look at things in our system, some of the stuff Henry was talking about, like covered call, d- income ETFs, a lot of people would consider those also to be like alternatives because they tend to smooth out the returns. You lose some of the upside, but you also limit your downside when you do stuff like that. So if you include those into the alternatives, the space is much bigger. But the true hedge fund type strategies, um, there's only a handful that are of, of any significant size. And I'm not sure I'm going to... We need to see more people come in the space. Maybe fees get lower. Then advisors who really are looking for some alternative to just the 60-40, maybe they'll come in, but I'm with you. I don't think we get to a couple hundred billion in assets. I don't think that's going to happen in the space. About two years ago, I said, we need a rock star like Cliff Asnes or a Vanguard. Vanguard does have a market-neutral mutual fund that charges like 20 basis points. It needs to get rock star or cheap. Like it needs to be Kathy Wood 
or vanguarded that category, and it's yet to really have that. Andrew Beer is turning into a little bit of a rock star, but he came from the, the indie world. But a Cliff Asness or a Vanguard coming in would definitely jumpstart flows, I think. Anything else? Yeah, just one last thing that I just keep thinking about and comes up and, and I can't get rid of it is this the cultural wars have like came into the ETF world. Like we used to just do our ETF thing and then politics would be over here. But after ESG came out and, and then the, the ESG reaction and now you've got, you know, Strive and anti-ESG and um, it's really brought the political realm into the ETF realm and then the voting, right? Florida just said they're not going to invest in BlackRock because they talk ESG too much and that's become an interesting part of our job now is trying to, I don't know, walk around this without taking making political stances and trying to treat both sides fairly. But I don't know. It's a little unfortunate, but it is here to stay. I don't see this going away. I think everything's become politi- politicized, including ETF somehow. I mean, aside from the political thing, I think anything that could be ETFIs will try to be ETFIs, whether it's I think it's just they've made it so easy. So I think things might get a little crazy, not just uh, outside the political realm. That, that is a good point. The The more the core of the portfolio gets boring and the more passive grows, ironically, the crazier ETF launches are going to get because they're going to compete for that 15% of your portfolio where you're looking for fun stuff, volatile stuff, narratives, just uh, foam, cure your FOMO a little bit. So ironically, passives rise had less to uh, crazier ETF launches. Yeah. I mean, Will Hershey over at Roundhill is a good example of this. He's launching a suite of products that are basically taking advantage of the same way that we have single stock ETFs, except he's doing like very small, like concentrated, like 10 stock or less portfolios on certain themes. So again, making that way more concentrated active side of your portfolio. And I, I'm with them both. I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. We're bullish hot sauce. Hot sauce is here to stay. It, 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 it might get hotter, yeah, spicier. Yeah, hot, yeah, the hot sauce will get hotter. James, Athanasios, Henry, Rebecca, Eric, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Look forward to seeing everyone in 2023. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.